Hebrews 10, and uh, we'll, we'll be reading in verse 1 here in a few moments. If you've ever gotten a bunch of three-year-olds together and got them to draw pictures, it can be pretty interesting. Uh, it's quite a bit different than what you would see from a professional artist. Um, if you have a professional artist that does a picture of a sunset or something, well, it's quite a bit of difference between that and the beautiful sunset that you see when you, when you open your eyes and just look at God's creation that he has made. It's amazing. Even our, even our high-tech cameras don't capture it completely. Uh, same thing's true of the beach. If you, have, you see a bunch of pictures of the beach on Facebook. Everybody and their brother going to the beach. And uh, kind of makes you jealous in this weather, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> you look at that and you say, wow, you know, uh, that, that's nice. But it's not, it can't compare to being there. Uh, well, the, the Old Testament had some, some uh, laws and ceremonies and so forth that were a picture. And, of course, Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. But it prepares us for those things. And... Uh, and, and I'm so grateful that God took the time to help us understand the concepts we needed to understand so that we'd be ready when Jesus got here. <laughs> and, and we'd be able to interpret what he was trying to get us to understand uh, and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus can do what no ceremony or sacrifice of the Old Testament can do. Uh, he is on a whole different level. It's kind of like four-year-olds and professional artists. He, he's just in a completely different category. And so um, this is why we need to come to Jesus and trust him for the unique work that he does in our lives. And that's the title of my message tonight is Jesus' Unique Work. And uh, we're going to look at uh, verse 1 of Hebrews 10. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers purified once for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepare a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says the above, you do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, the whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He says then, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, 
This is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus' unique work. Well, what has Jesus done? Well, first of all, he removes our sin. Again, he is comparing the old sacrifices to the new sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He says these old sacrifices, verse 4, are not able to take away sin. Um, I, I'm reminded of, of the story of Isaiah. You remember in Isaiah, he goes into the, the temple in his vision and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple, and the temple is filled with smoke, and the seraphim are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah feels just this overwhelming sense of guilt. And he says, Woe is me. I'm undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And he just he's burdened down, he's weighted down, and God sends one of the seraph in his vision with a coal from the altar, and he touches it to his lips. That's why you know it's a vision, because otherwise he'd be, he'd be jumping around. But uh, he touches that coal to his lips, and he says, you are cleansed. And of course, that's a picture of the work of Christ. Who would later come. Now Isaiah is fit to be in the presence of God. And he is fit to serve God. And God offers the invitation. Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, Here's, here am I. Send me. And, uh, and we see that God was able to remove the sin of Isaiah. This is what Jesus does through his sacrifice. Uh, praise God, when I, as an 11-year-old boy, trusted Christ, God forgave my sin. The weight of my guilt was removed. I, I felt like jumping around. I, I, this, this lightness, of the, the guilt was gone. My sin was buried in the sea of forgetfulness. And still to this day, every time I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. How good he is. Jesus and Jesus alone can take away sin. I was burdened under my sin. I was burdened under my guilt. And praise the Lord, he lifted me up through his amazing grace. He took away my sin. It's as far as the east is the west, buried in the sea of forgetfulness, not to be brought up. Again, Jesus removes our sin. Uh, you know, sometimes the removal of sin starts with the confrontation of sin. Paul was on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, Saul, hard for you to kick against the goads. You're fighting a losing battle here. And Saul repents, and Jesus forgives his sin, and I love what he says later on. Paul uh, is describing the gospel, and he says, uh, and, and he also, last of all, he also appeared to me. 
But I am the least of the apostles and not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, Jesus took away his sin. And now he's used as a, a great apostle for the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus' unique works. Listen, these old sacrifices couldn't take away sin, but Jesus can. So Jesus' unique works. He, first of all, he removes our sin. Secondly, he transforms our relationship. He transforms our relationship. Now, before I read the verse here, I just want to draw your mind back to the time of the Old Testament and to re- just to remember what happened. When they first set up the tabernacle, God told the priest, you're not to offer any unauthorized fire uh, outside the courts of the tabernacle. And what do Nadab and Abihu do? They go outside the courtyard of the tabernacle and they're offering incense and the censers there outside the courtyard and fire comes from the tabernacle and consumes them where they're standing. And there's nothing left. I mean, you talk about a quick cremation job. It was done. And all that was left were the two censers that they were using and they hammered those censers out and put them on the altar of burnt offering which was a picture of the wrath of God. And the fear of God came upon the people in a mighty way. Every time they came to worship, they were presented with the the scene of sacrifices being offered and of the barrier of their sin and the need for the blood to be offered to come even to the beginning uh, of, of the tabernacle. And they could never go beyond the veil into God's presence in the, in the most holy place because the barrier remained. And even the high priest, that God told them to put bells around the bottom of his garment because if God found something unworthy, if he didn't go through the right ritual before he went into that place, he'd be struck dead. And they tie a rope around his ankle because they were not going in there after him. <laughs> and they pulled him out. So, I mean, there was, there was this fear, this paralyzing fear. Because God was dangerous to his people. Because God was holy and they were sinful. But Jesus changes all that. (laughs) He changes the relationship. And look at what he says in verse 9. He He says, see, I have come to do your will. By the way, he's quoted a psalm. This is a psalm predicting. He says, God was never satisfied with burnt offerings and sin offerings. He says, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written about me. I think he's talking about Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. But that's just me. He says, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. What's he talking about there? The first covenant. That is the Mosaic covenant. He takes away the first to establish the the second. You say, well, does that mean the Old Testament no longer matters to us? Absolutely not. The Old Testament is every bit as much God's Word as the New Testament is, but the Old Testament just applies differently to us under the New Covenant. It is not the means whereby we relate to God. He has taken away that first covenant as the means of relating to God 
for the people of Israel. And now there's a new covenant because the time of fulfillment has come. And what the Mosaic covenant anticipated in Jesus Christ has been fulfilled. Jesus has offered the perfect sacrifice. And the veil of the temple has been ripped in two. Jesus has fulfilled what the Old Testament represented. So that first covenant is taken away. And now the new covenant has been established. Jesus at the Last Supper said to his disciples, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. At the cross, Jesus established the new covenant. And it changed everything. You see... Sinful human beings could never be in the presence of God because it was dangerous. But because of Jesus, as 2 Corinthians says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So when Jesus hung on the cross... God put all my sin upon him and all your sin upon him. He made him sin. Even though he was spotless, he was holy, he was pure, he became our sin in our place. And God's judgment was carried out. God is absolutely just in showing mercy to you and me because our justice was carried out upon Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what Jesus does when we repent and put our trust in Jesus is that he credits his righteousness to us. So that now I can enter God's presence. So uh, this changes everything. That's why the, the veil was ripped. When Jesus said, it is finished, the veil was ripped in two. Why? Because God was showing that now there was no barrier to his presence. Forevermore, the relationship would be different. Now, instead of coming with fear, we can come with boldness and joy and openness. When, when Jesus prayed, he prayed, our Father... He said, when you pray, pray this, our Father, who art in, in heaven, let your name be honored as hallowed, right? Our Father. Why? There are a couple of places in the Old Testament where this name is used, but it's, it's very rare. More often they thought of God as transcended and great and glorious, but they didn't think of God in those intimate terms so much of Father. Familiarity with God was not something that was common. But now, through the blood of Jesus, we relate to God as a child relates to their daddy. And, uh, you know, uh, when my kids were little, uh, they, they uh, now maybe if I threatened to spank them, they'd be scared, but... <laughs> But most of the time they weren't. I mean, they they didn't, you know, tiptoe into the room when they saw me. They they'd run and jump on my lap. Sometimes I'd be asleep and they'd jump on me, you know. <laughs> and I mean, uh, and you you just you just never knew what was going to come next. There was an openness. There was a freedom. There was a joy. Why? Because I was their daddy, and I still am. <laughs> and uh, uh, 
that is what God uses to describe his relationship with us. Jesus also says, I am the groom, the church is the bride. Same idea. There's familiarity and openness and fellowship there, uh, intimacy there. Why? Because the barrier has been removed in Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God will never be the same because Jesus took our alienation at the cross, didn't he? He he was separated from his father in fellowship. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so I could draw near. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise his name. He has assured my relationship and transformed it forever. I come to the blood of Jesus. Listen, I'll tell you, I've never come to Christ, never come to, to the Father in worship or in prayer on the basis of my own goodness. I come based on the spotless Lamb of God, the perfect blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross in my place. I have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I've been made holy and fit to enter his presence forevermore. Forevermore. Jesus sacrifices, the scripture tells us in our passage, once for all. I don't have to keep going back and offering a sacrifice. It's done. That part of of mending the relationship is in the past. Jesus took care of it all. And because of that, we have freedom and joy. Should we fear God? Absolutely, we should fear God. In the sense that we, we know he's a loving father who will discipline us if we, if we persist in the sinful path. But we don't have to have that relationship they had under the old covenant where we're, we're fearing we'll be destroyed in an instant through his wrath. Because that wrath is poured out upon Christ and we're forever satisfied. So, Jesus' unique work, he removes our sin, he transforms our relationship with God. He perfects our rating. You say, what what in the world are you talking about? Look at verse 14. Um, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who were sanctified. Some of your translations may say has completed forever or something like that. But... I like the word perfected because there are two things being affirmed in this verse. One thing is that we have been perfected, and another thing is that we are being sanctified. Okay? So, listen, I'm not perfect. Uh, You can ask my family. They'll tell you. Okay? I'm still in process. God is still sanctifying me, but I have been perfected. You say, well, how can you say that if you're still in process? Because the blood of Jesus has been applied to me. His righteousness has become my righteousness. So he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. Uh, Joseph, in the Old Testament, was his father's favorite son. And everybody knew it. He made for him a coat of many colors. And uh, it, uh, it was a, a robe of nobility it was a robe of prestige, and his brothers couldn't stand him because of it. They knew what it meant, and they knew that he was given special favor. 
He's especially loved by his father. Now, I'm not encouraging you to follow that example that Jacob showing favoritism to your kids. It's better to love them the same. And, uh, but uh, it does teach us this kind of idea of, of the, the rating system, right? We have rating systems for everything. Uh, if you have uh, steel, steel is rated, and you know, there's better, some of it's better steel and some of it's trash, right? Depending on how it's made. Um, you have a quarterback rating. I heard about that this week. I was watching the football game, and they were talking about the quarterback rating. Uh, well, Joseph had a rating. He was the rating of the best son, at least in his father's eyes. And so uh, you and I have been rated by God. And this rating is this, it has this idea of being perfected. Uh, Zechariah 3 is the best illustration of this I know. But uh, Joshua, the high priest of that day, different than the Joshua that took the Israelites into Canaan, uh, he was the high priest, and he was in this vision, he was standing before God's throne, and he was wearing these filthy, disgusting garments. It'd be like going to visit the president uh, in, in an old, beat-up, holy pair of overalls, okay? You, I mean, it's just inappropriate. And so the devil is accusing Joshua, and, he, and uh, it says that the angel of the Lord came and took off the filthy garments and put on a robe of white upon his shoulders, put a turban upon his head, and said, now he is fit to be before your presence. And that is exactly what Jesus does to us. You see, I'm perfected not because I'm righteous, but because Jesus is righteous in my behalf, and he has clothed me with a perfect robe of his righteousness. So what is God's rating for me? I have a perfect rating. Why? Because I'm perfect? No. My Savior's perfect. And His righteousness has been credited to me, so I have a perfect Christian rating. So you can go out there and tell everybody your pastor's perfect. No, don't do that. But, uh, but I have a perfect rating in heavenly courts, even though I'm an imperfect man. Praise God for His amazing grace. Uh, he has perfected forever. Now, it, it, Look at that. You, we need to look back at that verse because that's an important verse. For By one offering, he perfected until you mess up the next time. Is that what it says? No. Perfected forever. You see, this is the great thing about justification. It does not depend upon performance. You say, well, I thought if I sinned, it would affect my relationship with God. It does affect your fellowship with God in in terms of feeling the joy of the Lord and His presence and so forth and having His power and so forth. It affects those things, but it never bars you from Him. And this is an important thing to understand. You can be in the midst of a temptation. You can be in a, a situation maybe where you've compromised to some degree. And you can still call on the Lord Jesus to help you in the middle of it. Because you're justified. There's always access. Um, This access is because I have been perfected forever. 
by the way, that's why I don't have to worry. <laughs> I had a friend. I probably, well, I'm not going to share that story. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ask me about it after church if you want to. But anyway, uh, I am perfected forever. And what that means is that I always have access to Christ and that I'm always clothed in the righteousness of Christ as a child of God. And that means I can come with, with all my failures, with all my faults, be completely transparent and honest with God. He knows it anyway. But I can do that. Why? Because I'm never accepted based on my own righteousness. I'm accepted based on Christ's righteousness. I've been perfected forever. So I can, I can come with complete honesty. And that's important because guess what? The Bible says if we confess our sins. It's an important promise, right? It's a conditional promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins. Don't think you can cover up your sin from God because you can't. But the, the wonderful thing is you don't need to. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're already accepted. You're accepted in the beloved. Jesus Christ, right? So I can come to God and God will meet me where I am and he will extend his grace and he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness and he'll restore his fellowship with me because I am clothed in the beautiful righteousness of Jesus. When I come into his presence, he sees the pristine righteousness of Jesus. <laughs> That's good stuff. I might amen, amen myself on that one. Uh, can't beat that scripture. All right. So the unique work of Jesus, and by the way, no Old Testament sacrifice could ever do that. Only Jesus could do that. So unique work of Jesus, he removes our sin, he transforms our relationship, he perfects our rating, he changes our hearts. Changes our hearts. Look at verse 16. This is a quotation of Jeremiah 31. It says, uh, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What did God do when God made a covenant with Israel? He took his finger and he wrote on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been cool to see? You know, Moses, I, I, don't, I don't know if God let, how much God let him see and how much he didn't, you know. Uh, if God took the tablets into the cloud, I'm not sure how it all happened, but wow. God wrote these commandments himself. And I'm convinced he didn't have to have a chisel to do it. <laughs> he just took his finger and wrote these laws for the people of Israel. What happened when Moses went down the hill with those tablets? He found the people in sin, didn't he? What did he do? He got mad. And he took the tablets and he threw them to the ground and crushed them. And he was so mad he made the people eat water that he'd mixed with those broken pieces. <laughs> and uh, said, here, drink this. No, I don't know. But uh, the problem was is that even though God gave him a new set of tablets, those laws were never on the hearts of his people. They rebelled against him. They pursued their own course. 
they had the most precious gift they could possibly receive, which was the presence of God in their midst. The most precious truth they could ever receive that could truly set them free, but they wouldn't follow it. It was on tablets of stone, but it wasn't on the tablets of their heart. However many sacrifices were offered, the hearts of the people never turned after God fully. But then Jesus came. And the Bible says that through the powerful work that Jesus does, He changes our hearts. Corinthians says it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. This change must happen within you. That is a supernatural work of God. Could only happen one way, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed at Calvary's cross. Only Jesus could change the hearts of men. It took a supernatural power. Moses didn't have that power. He could tell until he was blue in the face, follow these laws, but they wouldn't do it. Why? Because their hearts were not, were not leaning that way. Ultimately, God had to change the hearts of people uh, in order for us to have the relationship with him that he desired. And that's what he did at the cross. He made it possible for us to be changed. So the moment you repent and put your trust in Jesus, there is a new creative work. Just like God said, let there be light. Just like God created the vegetation and the animals and the fish and the sea, God speaks and your heart is changed forevermore. Now you say, well, I got this old nature. Yes, you've got the old nature that wants to continue to do the things you did before you were saved. You've got a new nature that wants to please God, and that's this change that he's talking about. God's given you the desire to follow him. And we have a battle right now between the two, and the Holy Spirit helps us win that battle. And we can, we can ask for his filling and ask him to help us with that. One day, God's going to take away that old sin nature and that prophecy will be fully realized in our lives. Won't that be a great day? No more sin nature. No more devil. We talked about him getting thrown in the lake of fire this morning. And we will have joy that is unhindered and undiminished for all eternity. Because we will walk in perfect fellowship with God. Because he's changed our hearts. Listen, I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I couldn't change my heart. There were some things I knew I was doing wrong. I didn't know how to change myself. I kept, in, kept living in the same pattern of disobedience. And only Jesus could change my heart. And give me a new set of desires. What a, what a blessing that he did. <laughs> Listen, uh, Jesus' work is unique. There's no Old Testament sacrifice that can change a human heart. The anticipation of the sacrificial system would be that there would be someone greater who would come. The anticipation of the prophets, we've just quoted Jeremiah, Ezekiel talks about 
God saying, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's talking about the same thing. The new creation. Being born again. This has always been God's plan. And it could only happen through Jesus. Jesus changes our hearts. And listen, he has changed them and he is changing them. Right? We're, we're growing. Uh, praise God, uh, he's not finished with me yet. Amen? He's still working on me. Uh, and uh, he, he will continue to work on me until Jesus comes and he perfects me. Uh, in holiness, but uh, uh, what, a, what a blessing to have the work of Jesus in our lives. It is a unique work. The, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us is a very powerful, wonderful thing that changes us from the inside out and makes us new. Listen, um, if you don't know him, repent and trust him today. If you do know him, thank him every day that you will for what he's done. Because it is truly amazing. And approach him with freedom and confidence. Uh, we're going to have an invitation here in a moment. And uh, I'm going to invite you to come. And uh, if, you, if you, Maybe you have bought the lie of the enemy uh, that God has...